Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. We're so glad you have joined us for this audio sermon. You can find a full archive of sermons on our website, holycommunion.net. This sermon was preached by our seminarian, Emily Walker Cornetta, on the Feast of Christ the King, November 22nd, 2020. In the name of the loving, liberating, life-giving God, amen. Today is Christ the King Sunday, the last Sunday in the church calendar before we start from the beginning with the season of Advent. This Sunday is kind of like a liturgical New Year's Eve where before we sit in darkness, waiting and watching for the low-profile birth of a baby, we proclaim the glorious and eternal reign of Christ over all the earth. Those of us who've been in church for a while are familiar, aren't we, with this regal, enthroned, resplendent Christ, versions of whom appear so often in our songs and our stained glass windows. I think of the hymn, crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee and hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. I'm so accustomed to Jesus being portrayed as king that the words of the hymns, and even Paul's description of Jesus that we heard this morning, of Jesus seated at the right hand of God, far above any ruler or authority or power, they kind of just wash right over me. I tend not to give them a second thought. But Christ the King, those words together, Christ and king. When considered alongside the reality of Jesus's life are actually kind of an awkward fit. Typically we associate political power and certainly royalty with privilege, with wealth, status. Today in our lesson from the Gospel of Matthew we're reminded that the son of man, alternately translated the human one, the one who presides over all the peoples of the earth is not only not rich, he's poor. We're urged to remember that the one who adjudicates on high between the righteous and the unrighteous was himself once on trial and sentenced to death by execution. We Christians too easily, I think, lose sight of the fact that to proclaim Christ, this Christ as King, is an essentially subversive act. This particular Christ the King Sunday comes right on the heels of an election. And in that election, Missouri's first district, which of course includes Holy Communion, elected Cori Bush to represent us in Congress. In her acceptance speech, Congresswoman-elect Bush, a self-described nurse, pastor, single mom, Black Lives Matter activist, voiced some of her own experiences in life that have made her who she is. Here's what she said in her own words. She said, I was running. I was that person running for my life across a parking lot, running from an abuser. I remember one day hearing bullets whiz past my head and at that moment I wondered, how do I make it out of this life? I was uninsured. I've been that uninsured person, hoping my healthcare provider wouldn't embarrass me by asking if I had insurance. I wondered, how will I bear this? I was a single parent. 
I've been that single parent struggling paycheck to paycheck, sitting outside the payday loan office wondering how much more will I have to sacrifice? I was that COVID-19 patient. I've been that COVID-19 patient gasping for breath, wondering how long will it be until I can breathe freely again? I'm still that person. I'm proud to stand before you today knowing it was this person with these experiences that moved the voters of St. Louis to do something historic. In our gospel text this morning, it's as if Jesus, asserting on the one hand his cosmic authority, his partnership with God the creator in judging the nations of the earth, makes sure we remember the experience he brings with him to this job. I was hungry, Jesus says. I've been that hungry person forced to rely on the hospitality of friends and strangers for my next meal. I was thirsty. I've been that thirsty person begging for a bit of water to ease the pain of dying. I was a refugee. I've been that refugee child, a stranger seeking safety in a strange land because home was a place of death. I was naked. I've been that naked person, humiliated, whipped, exposed, hung up, my body a spectacle for leering crowds. I was in prison. I've been that person in prison, punished for daring to expose and challenge the powers that be. And lest you, church, are inclined to forget, I'm still that person. In the Gospel of John, chapter 20, the resurrected Jesus appears to his disciples and he says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. The scars themselves testify, I am still that person. In our reading from Ezekiel, we heard God liken those who oppress the vulnerable to rams or bucks among sheep budding and pushing them, dispersing them with chauvinistic displays of power. Ezekiel makes plain that God is on the side of those sheep. And so is Jesus. His identification with those sheep is not so much ideological as it is embodied. It's written on his flesh. And it is so total, so fundamental to who Jesus is that he essentially says, if it's me you're looking for, do an about turn and go find those sheep. Indeed, I've often heard this text preached as an injunction to look for the face of Christ in, say, the chance encounter with the beggar on the street. And of course, yes, the Christian tradition following Jesus teaches us to revere the divine image, the holy spark in every person. But there's something misleading and distracting, I think, about reducing this three-dimensional teaching of Jesus to the strict two-dimensional plane of individual interpersonal encounters. It obscures the fact that the resurrected Jesus identifies not only with this person in prison over here and that one sleeping on a park bench over there, though he surely does, but with those classes of people whose material lives suggest that those running the place don't actually believe that their lives matter. By emphasizing this point, I don't mean to suggest that Jesus or God loves the poor, those on the underside of power, more than everyone else. The Gospels include stories of Jesus inviting people with prestige into the kingdom of God, 
with implications, of course, for their possessions. It's precisely because each and every human being is beloved by God and intended for life and freedom that Jesus, with his disfigured hands and feet, stands with those to whom life and freedom have been denied. He stands and declares with them, with all the authority of God, our lives matter. A robust and I believe a faithful interpretation of this passage calls us to more than isolated acts of kindness. Jesus demands nothing less than radical solidarity and yes, love. He invites us to a love that so cherishes each member of the human family that it revolts at the sight of anyone pummeled over for the sake of profit or expediency. He invites us to a love that will not rest until all God's people have what they need to thrive, or as Jesus puts it in the Gospel of John, until all have life and have it more abundantly. I want to revisit Corey Bush's acceptance speech for a moment because she too, pastor that she is, insists that it all comes back to love. Addressing her constituents, she said, your congresswoman-elect loves you. Not something you hear every day from your elected officials. She continues, your congresswoman-elect loves you. I need you to get that. Because if I love you, I care that you eat. If I love you, I care that you have shelter and adequate safe housing. If I love you, I care that you have clean water and clean air and a livable wage. If I love you, I care that the police don't murder you. If I love you, I care that you make it home safely. If I love you, I care that you're able to have dignity and a quality of life, the same as the next person, the same as those who don't look like you, that didn't grow up the same way that you did, that don't have the same socioeconomic status as you. Dr. Cornell West famously summed it up this way, that just as tenderness is what love looks like in private, justice is what love looks like in public. Through the mouth of the prophet Ezekiel, God says to the sheep of the flock, sheep of the flock who have been shoved aside and barreled over, that this has been allowed to happen proves that the ones responsible for shepherding you have failed. So I, God, I'm going to step in to seek out the lost, bring back the strays, bind up the wounded, and strengthen the weak. I, God, will tend my sheep with justice. The NRSV says it this way, I will feed them with justice. Amidst the still escalating, catastrophic COVID-19 pandemic and the centuries-old pandemic of white supremacy, our shepherds, too, have failed us and our nation is starved for justice. May we who proclaim Christ as King labor together in love until all who, like him, have been hungry and thirsty, fled their homes, suffered in prison, been sick, and struggled to breathe. May we labor together until all the least of these Christ siblings are fed and have had their fill of the justice of God.